Hi, everyone, and welcome to Two Guys and Some Data podcast. On this podcast, we don't just talk about data. We talk about how you can use data to make some money. I'm Larry Cavanaugh. And I'm Alan Abbott. And our topic today is marketing in an era of data and privacy. So data. For marketers, it's become the DNA of how we build campaigns and meaningful consumer experiences. But for consumers, it has uh, become a dreaded four-letter word. And today we want to talk about this notion of, of data as currency and how marketers and technology professionals uh, can begin to not only shift the perception about data and privacy, uh, but more importantly, prove the value within that exchange. Larry, let's start with a level set. Um, with passage of, of GDPR legislation in Europe, and the continued leakage and misuse of data. Uh, Facebook, um, Cambridge Analytics, for example. How has the domestic marketing environment changed? All right, so we're gonna start off with the downside. That's okay. Uh, so of course, the biggest reaction uh, is the California law that was uh, recently passed. But because that doesn't take effect until 2020, and because the you know what's actually in that law is still gonna be shaped, I think it's too early to really talk about that law in particular. I think your question is right on though. What is, what is GDPR and the privacy uh, concerns bringing to the forefront that hasn't been there before that will shape probably future privacy legislation, including the, uh, the California law? So uh, since you say level set, you know, taking a step back, in the US, uh, what businesses have had to be concern, concerned about primarily boils down to two concepts, notice and choice. So privacy policies uh, provide notice of how, you, uh, how a business would use a consumer's data. Choice is you give a consumer some way that they can opt out of sort of future participation. So the three new concepts that are, that, uh, are now coming into the conversation are one, PI, personal information. So that's things like um, you know, in the digital world, people think about it in terms of like where you clicked, you know, what device you might have used to, to visit a website, but it applies to things like, you know, your demographics, what's your age, what's your income. Uh, in the direct marketing world, you know, transaction history is very important. Transaction history is also considered personal information. It's things that marketers um, would really use to sort of describe and make decisions about, you know, whether to market to someone and what to send. And that type of information in the past, you just had to notify people that you were using it. Now you have to, um, you know, the conversations around how you protect personal information. So that's one concept. Second concept is right to be forgotten. This one is, you know, we have in the U.S. had the opt-out concept, which meant no more data collection going forward. Right to be forgotten would require uh, marketing technologists, marketing, you know, and um, you know, brands and, and uh, companies that use marketing data to actually erase retroactively information about a consumer. This has big implications uh, when you think about like how models are built. Uh, they tend to use compiled data. Uh, uh, you'd have to go back and sort of rip out you know, individual transaction data, which is not something that in the US we've had to be concerned with before. The third concept is naming who your data partners are naming who it is you share a consumer's data with or sell, your, sell a consumer's data to. And that's another, you know, that would be sort of like another level uh, um, of transparency uh, that has not existed uh, in the U.S. today. 
So that's you know sort of the the, the big scary things that that, uh, that that could be coming down the pike that I think marketers have to be thinking about and be conscious of. Uh, but Alan, you're the research expert here. Uh, what does the research tell us about consumer data usage by advertisers? Well, let's start with the marketing side and, and how marketers and advertisers view this. Uh, lot, you know, a lot of studies we can look at here and uh, uh, the CMO survey, uh, which was done this year, says that 42% of marketing decisions are made using analytics. And frankly, I was a little surprised that that number, I thought it'd be higher. Um, but, you know, certainly it's, it's uh, on the upswing. Uh, uh, KPMG did a study last year and found that 61% of CEOs expect data analytics to be their greatest uh, investment in technology in the next three years, and that is no surprise. Uh, almost 10% of budgets, of marketing and advertising budgets, are now devoted to marketing analytics, and it's the biggest single area of spend. And that's from a Gartner study um, last year. And 95% uh, of marketers across brands and agencies are using first and third party data in their media plans. And uh, that's from Bizarre Vo Voice. And I'm wondering what the other 5% are doing actually. <laughs> but um, sort of like those surveys where the, you know, the product usage, 98% of the people are using toilet paper. You know, so, <laughs> Let's not think about that one too much. Okay. Yeah, right, yeah. Um, and 82% of marketers plan to increase their use of first-party data. So marketers and advertisers are, you know, for them, uh, you know, data is clearly here to stay. And the output of the data-driven consumer experience is, is too valuable to let go of. Uh, and for consumers, there's a trade-off. And the trade-off... Uh, is the you know the quality, the cost of products, the experience that they have, uh, you know, with um, with advertisers. Uh, uh, that a lot of that is going to be dependent on the uh, availability of data about them that the marketer can use to provide a better experience, and that's the dilemma uh, for uh, consumers to some degree, and probably more than just for for the consumers for the folks who consider themselves consumer advocates. Um, so that, you know, the press, um, regulatory bodies, and, um, and just organizations that, have, that exist purely to, collect, uh, to protect consumer interests. Uh, so Larry, uh, what are some of the really good examples of advertisers using consumer data effectively uh, to both improve the effectiveness of their advertising and also the consumer experience? Well, so, now we get sort of the other side of the equation, which is, you know, data when used well dramatically improves the consumer experience. Uh, and, um, you know, the, uh, you know, one example you could use is Amazon, but I think that one's been overused and we've talked about that and Amazon is, you know, it brings up other connotations when you start talking about Amazon. Uh, so I'll talk about uh, instead a company that I think is more generally loved by their consumers, even than Amazon, uh, at least by me, uh, Netflix. Uh, so if you think about, uh, you know, I, I suspect most of our listeners, if you don't have a Netflix account, you've probably got at least some streaming video account. Uh, and, um, you know, one of the things that uh, pretty much all of the streaming video uh, uh, services provide are, you know, start with just the easy one, the recommendations. You know, if there's, you know, there's a, there's a huge library of video content that has been produced uh, in the United States. 
Uh, and uh, you know, any individual is only able to explore a tiny, a tiny fraction of it. Uh, but services like Netflix have done a fantastic job of paying attention to what things I tend to watch. Not just do I start, but that I watch start to finish. And in fact, something that I start and stop to them can be a negative indicator. Uh, that it's something that I didn't enjoy, whereas something I watch from start to finish, I enjoy. They, they pay attention to what type of programming. Am I watching uh, movies? Am I watching uh, series? Am I watching, uh, if I'm watching series, am I watching ones that are 30 minutes long? Am I watching ones that are an hour long? Am I watching ones that have multiple seasons? Am I watching ones that are um, you know, more produced, uh, sort of like a mini-series uh, in effect? And as a result, the, the types of recommendations that filter up are, you know, I'm, I'm <clears throat> embarrassed a little bit to admit how many of them I wind up watching. Uh, you know, that is sort of the counter side of this, uh, is that, you know, Netflix is able to do this because they have a lot of personal information about what I watch. Uh, but it doesn't, you know, because there's been, you know, because they've protected it well, there's no stories of it being breached. I don't have any suspicions that they are sharing this data uh, beyond, uh, you know, they're not using this data for any other purpose than to try to give me a good experience uh, and to improve, you know, their programming, et cetera. But from, they can improve their programming all they want. As long as it gives me a good experience, I don't care. Uh, you know, because I don't have any suspicion of that, I don't mind it. I don't even think about it. It's more I think that I don't it doesn't it doesn't enter the equation. I just see the positives and I'm not I'm not concerned about the uh, about the negatives. And that's pretty important for Netflix because I mean they you know you can learn quite a bit about somebody from you know what they're watching. Absolutely. You know the you know if you think about I mean what got Facebook pretty much in trouble was that the information that they released got used for a different purpose. You know, Cambridge Analytics was using it to try to develop voter messages based on the things that, that I liked. And that's the, that's the part that really, I think, got Facebook in trouble, uh, was that that information that could tell Facebook a lot about me um, was used for a purpose that I never imagined or didn't even think of. With Netflix, I don't have, today at least, uh, the same suspicion or same concern uh, that they're using the data uh, for anything other than to, uh, I would say, help me find great shows to watch while I'm working out. Uh, so uh, for marketers and technology companies offering these services based on data, uh, the critical lesson is just to you know, keep on improving the value of using that consumer data, uh, but while also keeping it safe and keeping that whole idea of safety and security really out of consumers' minds. Yeah, there was a, a study done last year by Sitecore, uh, and 60% of uh, marketing uh, IT e-commerce decision makers uh, list the customer willingness to share or not share data as the biggest data collection challenge. And consumers are more aware than ever that they're being studied and they're being modeled and that uh, companies are, are using data to try to understand you know, what they want when they want it. Um, uh, a lot of consumers uh, understand uh, pretty clearly, you know, which information is the most sensitive, and it's really what we would, you know, what we're talking about here as the PII. Uh, so, you know, name, address, mobile phone number, date of uh, date of birth. But even with that, uh, seventy-five percent of those folks surveyed were willing to share that information with companies in exchange 
for products and services that they value uh, if it's a brand that they trust. So to Larry's point, he's, he's developed a trust uh, with Netflix, as have I. I'm, a, I'm a, also a, a big user of Netflix since I, I travel a lot and uh, my default nine o'clock at night thing is I put on my, you know, turn on my laptop and put in my earbuds and, you know, watch a, you know, an hour or so of, uh, of Netflix programming. Um, and, and even more consumers, about 80%, were positively inclined to share personal data uh, when they receive special offers or uh, benefits from uh, their willingness to share that data. And that included, you know, reward points and product recommendation. Uh, so the, you know, the conundrum is, uh, as one journalist pointed out in the wake of the Toys R Us uh, closing, uh, and I'll quote him, uh, people expressed discomfort at the thought of having their data exploited for commercial purposes, but then they mourn when their beloved brands fail to be commercially successful. You can't have it both ways. Or can you? Well, uh, you know, having it both ways, um, I would, I would address it slightly, I would change the question a little bit for you, or on you, um, which is, um, you know, I think there's sort of two ways to look at this, or two layers to look at. Uh, one is, so for sure, uh, you know, backing up half a step, as we talked about with Netflix, there are ways that this data can be used that, frankly, makes consumers, uh, you know, improves consumer experience, makes consumers happy, makes consumers, you know, is exactly what I want. Um, there are ways this data can be used that are, you know, off-putting, more than off-putting, which uh, get in the way, become a barrier to companies using that data effectively. And so I think that the, really the place to analyze this is on, is across two different dimensions. One is the marketing technology companies. You know, a lot of brands, a lot of retailers, um, most, in fact almost all, probably the 98%, uh, use marketing technology companies to help them uh, you know, reach consumers more effectively to, uh, you know, provide the kind of recommendations um, perhaps that, you know, that Netflix has built into their brand, you know, uh, other, you know, smaller retailers or smaller companies don't have the ability to, to build their own recommendation engine like that, so they use third parties to do it. So one level is what can marketing technology companies do to better protect this? And then I think the secondary, the second question is what can advertisers do? So I'll take the first, but I'll leave you the, uh, the second. So marketing technology companies, I mean, you raised the point a minute ago about PII, which is personally identifiable information, which is separate from this new concept coming into the US of PI, uh, personal information. And, uh, you know, I think there is, I think there is a huge opportunity because, uh, uh, you know, the things that people distrust are when their PI, their personal information is used or released when it's associated with their PII, their personally identifiable information, who they are. Sort of like what they do and who they are, when those things are released or misused in some way, is, is where, you know, frankly, all of the problems come from. Uh, so, you know, one of the things that, you know, marketing technology companies can do and something that, you know, as you know, was one of the, you know, sort of the found founding principles of Navistone, one of the ways we actually engineered uh, our entire marketing technology from day one is complete, complete separation of PII from personal information. You know, one thing that you know always surprises our advertisers is when we tell them that we don't actually have consumer PII. You know, we have personal information. You know, their browsing history. Uh, you know, what they click on, um, and we use that to model 
but there's no, you know, for us that's associated only with like an anonymous number, a, a, uh, an anonymous identifier, or to use the term more correctly, a pseudonymous, I can never say that word, um, uh, connector. We don't actually have any PII. So that uh, the way we're designed uh, prevents the kind of breach that like an Equifax had where um, people's names and addresses were released with their personal information. We only have uh, the personal information associated with a pseudonymous um, number that allows a different data partner who only has the PII but not the personal information uh, to then be able to um, enable the type of marketing that we do for folks. And that's a, in direct mail, that concept has never been done. We are like the very first company in direct mail to ever do this. And you know, I think that you know, this is the type of thing that marketing technology companies need to think about. We've been you know, kind of cavalier about PII and PI, and I think that has to change. So that's what I think marketing technology companies can do. What, what about advertisers, Alan? What do you think they can do? Uh, so there are, a, there are a number of things that uh, uh, we strongly advise our clients to do. Uh, and, uh, and we also strongly advise them to uh, do it in English as opposed to legalese. Probably one of the biggest or the most off-putting things, at least for me, about some of the privacy policies, for example, is that they're they're clearly written by lawyers and they're not written by marketers. And there's something inherently wrong with that. Uh, you know, at least that's that's my perception. And don't get me wrong, I understand, you know, that legal has to have a part in this process, but they don't have to be the author necessarily. Uh, so number one, um, publish a working link to the privacy policy uh, on your homepage and every other page of your site, and don't hide it. You know, the days of putting in a little tiny type at the bottom of the page where no one could find it are over. And uh, when you do that, you're creating a perception that you don't want people to look at it. Um, secondly, uh, include a statement in your privacy policy that tells consumers uh, about how the site uses cookies and how it collects data and how the, that data might be used. Uh, third, uh, educate on how third-party vendors serve ads on behalf of a brand across the internet using cookies. And fourth, clearly explain how the data for this ad serving is collected. And then talk about, so uh, you know, we talked about choice before, uh, you know, one of the key things um, uh, you know, in, you know, with privacy, uh, inform the consumer about the tools they have in their tool, toolbox uh, to do what they want to do and to engage at the level they want to engage. Uh, you know, they have the option to block cookies through their browser settings um, uh, by visiting Google's ad settings. And also provide a path um, for opting out of advertising and uh, both opting out of third-party vendor use of cookies and also by opting out uh, or giving them the ability to opt out of direct mail uh, through the DMA opt-out service. Uh, anything else, Larry? Well, so I, you know, since I, I took the marketing technology side of it, I, I would say that advertisers, you know, you, you talked about the legalese that happens in privacy policies. There's another place where there's a lot of legalese, uh, and that's in the agreement that advertisers sign with marketing technology companies. 
So what most advertisers may not be fully cognizant of uh, is that whenever you put uh, a marketing technology company's tag on your on your website, uh, that, that that marketing technology company has the ability to collect all of the clickstream data uh, that's on your website. Uh, um, you know what page someone visits, um, what you know as well. You know things like what device they use. There's there's a lot of data that becomes available to that marketing technology company, and uh, the way a lot of marketing technology, frankly, agreements are written for advertisers, really is even more confusing than privacy policies in terms of how that marketing technology company is going to use that data. The, uh, you know, at Navistone, we've taken the approach and we say it very clearly. We cannot use any data that we collect on someone's website, not just PII, but also, because we don't collect any of that, but also personal information. We don't use uh, any data we collect for anything other than helping the advertiser we're working with. When you read a lot of marketing technology agreements, they'll say things like, we don't use any PII on your site but they really are silent about the personal information and that's what they're using a ton of. You know, Facebook, for example, anyone has the, any website that has the, the Facebook like button on it, uh, Facebook is collecting, you know, the, the fact that someone visits any page that you have the like button on. Now, Facebook will tell you they don't collect someone's PII. They don't have to. They already have it. People have the Facebook cookie. You know, so you know you might feel good about signing that agreement. Oh, I've protected my consumers' PII, but you've just given away all of the browsing and personal information that's there. I'm not saying you shouldn't put marketing technology. You know, we're a marketing technology company. We want people to use marketing technology, uh, but I'm saying that I think from an advertiser standpoint, look hard at those agreements and push for you know, you know, the approach of we won't use personal info PI as well as not PII. Uh, on a site, and I think you might be surprised at how much pushback you get from uh, from some marketing technology companies when you take that stance. Um, so, uh, does that make sense? It does. It makes great sense. Excellent. So, uh, that'll do it for this episode of Two Guys and Some Data. We'll be back shortly with more tips for using data to help you actually make more money. In the meantime, if you want to read more from us, check us out at navistone.com/blog. And if you enjoyed today's show head over to iTunes and leave us a five-star review. Thank you for listening. I'm Larry Cavanaugh. And I'm Alan Abbott, and we'll see you next time.